Hi! Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show Podcast, the long weekend edition. Yay! It's been almost a month since the Jets were eliminated, so let's talk about the Jets tonight with Murata Test of The Athletic. What kind of contracts they could be looking at for Patrick Laine, Kyle Connor, and the rest. We'll also check in with the Winnipeg Roller Derby League. What do they do? What are the rules? And their pride game coming up in a week. Plus, a quick trip to the end of Bombers Rookie Camp with Bob Irving. That's on the podcast. Now, it's been almost a year to the date. The Winnipeg Jets were eliminated from last year's Stanley Cup playoffs in the West Finals. Game 5 on the Sunday of the long weekend against the Vegas Golden Knights at home. A lot has happened since then, namely disappointment. What will happen a year from now? Well, this summer has a lot to do with that. And joined on the line by Murat Atesh, who writes for The Athletic, covers the Jets. Murat, how are you doing tonight? Doing quite well, Christian. How are things? Doing well. So it is very different feeling this May than last May in Winnipeg. It's been almost a month since they were eliminated as well. And it's it's easy to forget that the first round wasn't all that long ago. What have you been up to since the end of the Jets season? Hey, that's interesting that you'd frame it that way, too. I, I just got to say that the big difference for me in the in the room going in there um, in St. Louis after the, the loss of the elimination was just this sense that was missing in Vegas. And then the sense in St. Louis was the, the feeling that maybe when it, the shock wasn't there, whereas against Vegas a year ago, um, like you framed it, uh, the, the shock was absolutely spread throughout the dressing room in Winnipeg. And, and there was genuine disbelief in Blake Wheeler and Patrick Liney and all the people who spoke that day about how they just couldn't believe they thought they had the better team. And I think a little bit of that was missing against the Blues. So that's the first thing I think about since then, it's been all deep dives and analytics and contract projections and off-season thoughts at The Athletic. And so you've written a couple articles, uh, kind of deep dives into the the projections for Patrick Lainey, Kyle Connor, and what kind of contracts they could be looking at given their production so far and the age that they are. Let's go with Patrick Lainey first because that's the player most Jets fans are, are wondering how much he's going to get paid. What kind of frame are we looking at here? What kind of space does Kevin Cheveldayoff have to work with? Yeah, the thing I wanted to do with the Patrick Liney and Kyle Connor deep dives was to look at history and look at a reasonable frame of reference for this. I mean, because we all have our opinions and I have my opinion on uh, on what kind of player each of these guys is. Um, but I ended up looking at every RFA contract signed by an offensive forward from 2005 when, or 2005, 2006 when the salary cap was introduced to now and looked at the cap hit percentages uh, versus the point production of each of these guys because Paul Maurice at the exit interviews was talking about um, players getting paid on production and ice time. And well, um, lo and behold, the, the actual math says that the correlation between points per game on the day these guys sign their contracts um, to the cap hit percentage they get is so tight and so close. So when you look at Patrick Line's three seasons to now and the information that we're working with, we're thinking that a long-term deal, something that pushes him you know, past unrestricted free agency status of so five, six, seven, even eight years, uh, would be pushing past about $8.6 million. Um, a, a bridge deal, which I think uh, a lot of folks in Winnipeg will want to talk about, and I can share thoughts on that too, a little bit in the, in the high fives, five, six, five, seven, five, eight, sort of approaching $6 million for a bridge deal. And that's just based on data, historical trends uh, in the, the sample I was able to put together. 
And well, I guess the idea for a bridge from Patrick Liney's perspective is, okay, this past season wasn't my best. I'll sign a couple years, bet on myself, so that that next contract's going to be huge because I just scored 40 goals two seasons in a row or something like that, right? Yeah, I think that's exactly it. You nailed it to the letter. Um, Patrick Liney is a confident young man, and I think at this, the amount of production that he's put together – strictly in terms of goals at this age, we forget he just turned 21 compared to history. He's doing really quite well. And he's a, he's a confident young man. If he bets on himself, there's a reason to believe that a bridge deal now costs the Winnipeg Jets an awful lot uh, a few years from now when it ends. So let's look to Kyle Connor, where the discussion a lot this season was, wait, is, is Connor actually more valuable to the Jets than Patrick Laine is? And is he? <laughs> uh, no, not not quite. But he, he he's had a phenomenal season. And a year ago, you would never believe that the contract projections for these guys would would end up being close together. Uh, the same math that puts Liney at about eight point six says that Kyle Connor comes in at seven point nine nine, kind of essentially call it eight for a long term deal. And I think that might be a little bit higher than what he ends up getting. But the fact that it's even close speaks to the season that Kyle Connor had. He's got. Top speed is impressive. His hands are electric. He can change his release. He, he fools goaltenders. He scored more goals than Patrick Laine did. Um, I think, though, if you begin to start fooling yourself into thinking that Connor is a superior player, what you've done is you've looked at recent history just these past few months, and you're, and you're overrating it. Because what we know from looking at these large samples of guys is that you need more than one season. You need more than half a season for sure. But to look at the full body of work, the two to three seasons that we have on each of these guys, the fact that we've got a year and a quarter age difference between the two of them at this stage of their career is really quite meaningful. And Patrick Liney's point production, even after um, such a slump at the end of the second half of the season there is, is still in a tier clear of Kyle Connor. Um, it's a great problem to have to even begin to be able to debate these two guys, but I still think Kyle Connor's coming in just in that next wave um, of skilled forwards for the Winnipeg Jets. So let's just put those two numbers together and call it 17 million or something like that. Or no, 15 million. My math is somewhere between 15 and 17 million. The Jets are looking right now at about $28 million in cap space. So two guys would tie up two thirds of it. And that's a lot in two players with a lot more to still sign in terms of defensemen and some other depth forwards, right? Yeah, and that's the interesting thing. You can look at Winnipeg's cap space right now and sort of, you know, begin to feel like a kid at the candy store with a few too many dollars in your pocket. But the thing is, a lot of that money is spoken for. And Winnipeg could very easily be a cap maximum team, essentially returning very close to the identical roster. I mean, with... Line A and Connor, whether even if one of them comes in on a bridge deal, that's still an awful lot of money. And then you've got a meaningful RFAs to sign. Uh, I think Andrew Cobb's a very important player for this team. You have unrestricted free agents like Brandon Tanev, who may have priced himself uh, into an, in another level. Um, Tyler Myers needs a new contract. And we're still waiting for that Jacob Truba situation <laughs> to either resolve itself long term or not. Um, and suddenly you've got, you're, you're almost running out of cap space to address the various problems that Winnipeg might have. So it's going to be a very interesting offseason. I think that the Jacob Truba situation will be the first shoe or the first domino because um, the, the Jets need a couple of different things. They enter the draft with only the second, uh, second round, a fourth round, and a fifth round draft pick. That's not a lot of futures for a team that prizes their drafting and development. Um, a lot of their best young players are already in the NHL, like Connor, Ehlers, Line, et cetera, down the line. So the pipeline needs some addressing for sure. 
But if you trade Jacob Truba, you're a playoff contending team that's just given up its top uh, even strength right-handed defenseman. And the goal in Winnipeg, I believe, should be to win now. So whether Winnipeg gets a package back that addresses the present moment or addresses the futures kind of decides a little bit of what Kevin Dayoff's list is on July 1 or even moving forward. And, and I think that affects a lot, of, uh, a lot of the rest of the Winnipeg Jets, a lot of Winnipeg's activity in free agency, if there is any, and then the budget for, for Connor and Liney as well. I think this is going to be one of the most difficult off-seasons of, of Kevin Dayoff's uh, tenure here in Winnipeg. Would he be wise to buy out Dmitry Kulikov? I think so, personally. Um, to, to look at those numbers, and uh, it's been a while since I checked them, but I remember uh, the, the cap hit applying to the Kulikov buyout would actually be a little bit cheaper than expected and would leave a little bit of room to, to replace with youth or replace with uh, other cheap players. We know... Um, that we have players like Sami Niku or Tucker Pullman waiting in the wings, and um, their cap hits would be less even than, sorry, their cap hit plus the buyout cost would be less even than Kulikov. So there are ways to maybe nip around the edges of the, of the cap issues, and buying out Kulikov might be one of them. Another issue or another strategy might be what we saw with the Yoel Armia trade to Montreal packaging Armia uh, with Steve Mason and to get out of that cap hit as well. I mean, you can't do that every summer. You run out of assets eventually, but it's possible Winnipeg might look to that route as well. And while I applaud Shevel Dayoff's creativity in packaging a useful player with a, a bit of dead cap space, uh, you run risks and rewards there, there too. So it presents its own challenges, whichever route you take. And before I let you go, how important is this offseason in terms of balancing the cap when you look at the fact that Josh Morrissey making 3.1 on a bridge deal as an RFA after next year. Yeah, and I, I, it's going to be a little bit like this for, for the foreseeable future because of the amount of uh, you know early 20s uh, talent on the, on the Winnipeg Jets. Josh Morrissey is an absolutely vital player to the Winnipeg Jets' defense, becoming more vital by the season. The one reason to think that maybe Winnipeg isn't as hooped by his uh, impending contract as the rest is that he hasn't quite gotten that power play time uh, that's, that's leading to offense and points and the sorts of things that get these players paid. I think one of the reasons Jacob Truba is going to be such an interesting scenario is because meaningful power play time finally gave this guy a huge career season at 50 points. As long as that's not happening to Josh Morrissey, he's a little more affordable. If that changes, then all of a sudden, boom, it's happening all over again in a year. I've uh, got to figure out what to pay yet another star young player. Rad, I appreciate your time as always, and uh, we'll be looking forward to your next article on The Athletic. Thank you. I appreciate it, Christian. Thanks for having me. A week from tomorrow, the Winnipeg Roller Derby League is holding a seventh annual Pride game. Here to talk about that. And the league is Director of Marketing, Alex Krosny. Alex, how long has the Winnipeg Roller Derby League been around? We were founded in 2008, so this is our 11th season this year. Okay. Has it grown since then? Yeah, um, it's fluctuated in size throughout. So we've definitely grown. We started with a small group of people. um, And at our largest, we were about 70 active skaters. Right now we're at about 40. Um, But in terms of the quality of the sport and our fan base, that continues to grow as our league grows as well. All right. I'm assuming there's going to be people in their cars at home listening, thinking, all right, I've heard of roller derby, but I have no idea how it works. So if you can break it down for us, that would be awesome. Yeah, I can give you my elevator pitch. So basically the main concept of roller derby is that um, each team has five skaters on a flat oval track at once. Four of those skaters for each team are blockers. So their job is to 
play simultaneous offense and defense, and they make what's called the pack. So it's kind of a big scrum of people on the track. Um, Starting behind them is one point scorer for each team. That person is called the jammer. Once the whistle goes to start a jam, which is like a short period in roller derby, um, both jammers race through the pack of people, all of those blockers trying to get out first. Um, Once they get out first, that establishes the lead jammer. They're the person who gets to decide when that particular jam or scoring pass is done. And then those two jammers, or one jammer at that case, will race back around the track and try to fight through the pack again. On that secondary pass, they get a point for every single person they pass on the opposite team. So basically, jammers are trying to fight their way through the pack to pass their opponents. Meanwhile, their own blockers are playing defense to stop the other jammer and playing offense to help their jammer get through. So it's kind of like football, but happening with both teams all at the same time in one direction. And on roller skates. And on roller skates, yeah. That's definitely the challenging part. How physical is it? I always say it's about as physical as hockey in that it's the same kind of contact. So there's no elbows, there's no tripping, that sort of, you know, whip it style roller derby doesn't actually exist anywhere. Um, So in terms of the kind of hits you get, it's like hockey. But of course, there's no ball. Um, The point scorer is like your ball moving through the pack. So it's a lot more physical in that the only way you can score points is passing people. So there's a lot of hitting while that tries to happen. I assume people get knocked down all the time. Yeah, definitely. And one of the best skills you can learn in roller derby is how to fall and get back up really quickly on roller skates. Right, of course. And what's the equipment situation? So it's full protective, um, basically what you'd expect for like park skating. So wrist guards, elbow pads, knee pads, uh, helmets, super important, mouth guard, and then um, quad skates. So those four-wheeled roller skates that you would have skated on at a roller rink as a kid. Yeah, two two wheels in the front, two wheels in the back, as opposed to an inline skate with four in a row, right? Exactly, yeah. Square wheel disposition there. Are those rented, or does everyone have their own pair? Everybody has their own pair. Um, for people who are in the league right now, this is the first year that we've uh, been able to have a little bit of a gear library because um, skates can range anywhere from starting at about $150 to some of us who have been skating forever have like really customized models that are like $500 wow. plus. Um, so everyone who's been skating for a while has their own equipment, but this is the first year that we'll be able to help out new skaters who want to try out the sport by being able to lend skates and equipment for folks coming in. Where do the league's games take place? Is it one specific place or does it move around? Uh, in the summer, we play our public games and practice at the Fort Gary Curling Club on Archibald. It's a little bit more challenging in the winter because the kind of flat space that we need to skate on is pretty much always covered in ice. Uh, so this year we have a new home at the Rossmere Curling Club. Uh, their, their curling ice machine broke. And unfortunately, their loss has been you know, our gain this winter and giving us somewhere to skate. So the 7th Annual Pride Game is uh, coming up next Saturday. Tell me about that. Yeah, it's our 7th Annual, as you mentioned, Pride Game. So it's a game that we started seven years ago in conjunction with Pride to kind of have a way to, you know, um, be involved in the celebration. And also our league has a really big focus on giving back to the community that we're in. So it has been and continues to be this year a fundraising game. So the Pride Bout is happening on Saturday the 25th. It's a double header, so there's two games, a juniors game with our juniors league. So they're kids from about I think our youngest skater right now is age six to eighteen. That starts at five thirty. And then we have an adult headlining game that starts at seven. And that'll be between two teams, the Ellen DeGenerates 
and the Ziggy Star Crushers. So we always try to pick sort of a LGBT friendly theme for our team. Uh, they're full contact, full speed games for folks hoping to check it out. Uh, and then we'll also have a lot of community members from the queer community. So we will have information tables from um, the two charities that we're donating to this year, which is QPOC Winnipeg, as well as Sunshine House, and then a variety of other communities and organizations that support the queer community. So we try to make it, you know, really fun for everybody, really inclusive for folks in the community and a great opportunity to check out the sport if you've seen it before or if you haven't. Why is it important for the league to do this? Pride, I think, is something that's especially close to our heart because there are a lot of skaters in our league who are part of the LGBTQ community and roller derby as a whole is a really inclusive sport that's focused on, you know, kind of pushing those boundaries of inclusiveness in sport. Uh, we've got a handful of skaters who are non-binary, so people who haven't usually found like a traditional home in women's sports or men's sports. We want to make sure that there's a space for those people in roller derby. Uh, and it's something I think that's really important for us because it's a lot of people who don't usually go to sporting things, maybe as an audience as well, they haven't felt quite at home in those sporting environments. So for us to be present there and to be a really fun opportunity and, you know, to show people like sports are for everybody. Here's a sport that might be for you is something that's super important to us and to roller derby as a whole. And there's also a pride uh, skatership that you do. Yeah, there is. That's a really exciting thing that we started for the first time last year. So the goal of the pride skatership is to kind of offer a scholarship opportunity for someone in the queer community who is maybe interested in checking out roller derby and participating, but doesn't have quite the means to start up. So like I mentioned before, sometimes the equipment cost can be a barrier for people starting. So the goal of the skatership is if you're a queer person interested in playing roller derby, you can basically send us an email between the period of May 25th and June 15th and tell us why you think derby is a great thing for you. And then we'll have one person who submitted an application and we'll cover the cost of their gear and the cost of their uh, six-week learn-to-skate starting program. So we'll give them access to a sport that they might not have had access to without that little bit of support. It's just our way of reaching out to the community and, and trying to you know, foster growth. And so just to remind people, it's next Saturday, the 25th, is your 7th annual Pride game that's uh, at Rossmere? Yeah, it's at the Rossmere Curling Club. Uh, doors open at 5, and if you're looking for tickets, you can find them on our website at winnipegrollerderby.com slash pride. All right, Alex, I appreciate your time, and uh, have fun at the event. Great, thank you so much. So let's go back to Blue Bombers training camp now. Matt Nichols and Chris Treveller, they were not at the first two days of rookie camp, but they came out and watched the final day of rookie camp, and when it was over... Bob Irving caught up with Matt Nichols. Well, are you uh, gunned up, ready to start another season? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just seeing the guys start to filter in here uh, gets you fired up. I mean, during the off season, it always feels like it's forever away, and then all of a sudden, you blink your eyes, and uh, we'll be full go here in here in a couple of days. And yeah, I mean, always one of the more exciting times of the year when when football's back. You look a little leaner and meaner this year. Is that an accurate assessment? Yeah, I mean, something I worked extremely hard on this off season is just. Uh, um, you know, trying to you know, talk about every year is just trying to improve your game. And for me, you know, I think that there's aspects that always can be improved. And, and you know, I've kind of focused on being able to make sure I'm, you know, running around a little bit better. Uh, you know, extending plays, making making some more plays with my feet. And so, yeah, something I really focused on this off season and you know, try and have that translate into the season. 
You told me earlier about your diet. Can you uh, detail your diet for everybody here? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, nothing super strict. Uh, just trying to eliminate a lot of the bad, bad stuff, bad habits, and uh, you know, I was super strict for a couple of months this off season, and then you know, trying to find uh, a happy balance of that from from now through the end of the season, and make sure you know, just maintain that for the the long season, and and uh, you know, I feel like kind of build those those habits in the off season and, and just carry them through and especially you know for me as as you get a little bit older you know always got to evolve metabolism's not as good and 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 uh you know make sure i'm i'm changing uh and evolving and, and you know just trying to to make my seem myself better which obviously can you know helps the team be better you don't feel old though do you no i don't at all actually uh um you know it's fun. i see some of the birthdays on the new guys coming in and you know that can make you feel for a second but as far as how i actually feel i feel i feel great um you know best i've felt in, in years and uh, it was a great off season for me and, and ready to get going uh, you know i really try and step away from the game kind of through december uh, you know do some you know some basic cardio little lifts and just kind of Stay in a little bit of shape, but uh, give your body a break after our long season. You know, start to ramp up a little bit in January, and then uh, you know, it's nice for me. You know, with technology and stuff these days, you know, having Apple watches and stuff that kind of keep track. You know, I can see that. You know, I've ramped it up in February. March was a big month for me, and you know, then I start to do more, more. You know, focus on the on-field uh, stuff, running stuff uh, through April and May. You know, kind of going into camp and having a good plan for. You know how to how to kind of keep those gains throughout the six month off season or six month season where you know at times you don't want to go and do workouts and stuff after practices and and you know for me just trying to put together my plan for the year of of how I want to um, you know do things better and do things more efficiently than I did the year before. Bob also caught up with one of the top kick return prospects at rookie camp, Dallas Cowboy or former Dallas Cowboy Lucky Whitehead. Lucky Whitehead, uh, three days of rookie camp. I know you're at mini camp in Florida. How do you feel things are working out for you here so far? Uh, I feel great. Uh, I think I'm moving great. I'm picking up the the offense pretty well, so it feels good. How difficult has it been to pick up the, the offense in this Canadian game? Uh, I mean, at the position I'm at right now, I'm not really doing too much motions, so it's kind of comfortable right now, but uh, I'm sure it'll switch up when the vets get in. Right. So are you lining up wide then? Yeah, I've been wide, but uh, I talked to coach, and I'm probably going to be moving inside a little bit, so I'm going to have to learn the the waggles and the motion stuff, so I'm being the book hard this week. What do you think about the waggle and all the motion there is in this game? I think it's great. It's a it's a great advantage for you. Um, gives playmakers, you know, get the chance to get in space, so I, I like it. I think most people are familiar with your story. You've had a couple of tough bounces along the way. Do you see this as a kind of a new lease on life for your football career? Oh, yeah, it's definitely a, a great opportunity for me. Uh, I'm excited, you know, to take a hit on. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm thankful, you know, just for another chance. You played with the Dallas Cowboys. Do you have great memories of those times? Yes, it's a great time down there. Yeah. <laughs> Is there was there a highlight from, from the time you were there? Uh, as far as football, yeah. I mean, the guys that I, that I was around, my teammates, they were great guys. Uh, the city showed, showed tremendous love. Uh, and football-wise, um, my second year opening game against opening preseason game against LA Rams mm-hmm. took a kick return like 101. Yeah. So that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> so you're a good kick returner. We know that. Do you see yourself primarily as a receiver? Or do you think you're here to win a, a job as a kick returner? Uh, both. 
you know, I can I can play receiver. I just got to be consistent, you know, know my job on offense. Uh, my returning speaks for itself. I know how to do that. Uh, as far as catching the ball, as a returner, you know, it's, that's a natural thing. So I just got to get down the offense and, and, and know, my, know my assignments, and I'll be straight. These guys are looking for somebody to be their kick returner. It's sort of a primary goal. Would it be okay if that's the way it worked out for you? Yes, I mean, I love it back there because everyone knows I'm getting the ball, you know. And uh, with this field, there's so much space. And, you know, I just feel like I'll have a, a great opportunity to take a lot back. Tune in to the CGOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 with me, Christian O'Mell. Or you can download the podcast on iTunes. It's actually on iTunes now. Wow. If you got an Android, then I think you're out of luck. But Apple products, you're good. So listen to the podcast. Please subscribe. You can rate it. What's the worst that could happen?